LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. G'day, I'm Madeline Galea. And I'm Derek Hanna. Welcome to The One Thing, a podcast designed to give you one solid practical tip for gospel-centered ministry each week. Hello, Derek. Hello, Madeline. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm well. It's a new year. Uh, I want you to be specific. What's been your favorite? What was your favorite thing over the Christmas period? My favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's dishonest. <laughs> We're in 2020. <laughs> well, for those listening, we are recording this before Christmas, but uh, listen, it's hopefully it's been a good break for you guys. Uh, I hope it's been a good break for Madeline as well. Well, the one thing is brought to you thanks to Geneva Push, the Australian Church Planning Network, and we're also proudly part of the LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network, and we'd encourage you to check out our new network page on iTunes and see all the quality Christian podcasts that are available. For now, you've pressed play on another episode of The One Thing, launching small groups for 2021. Uh, today we have with us Richard Swetman, who is the maturity pastor at Hunter Bible Church. As Derek mentioned, has already been on several podcasts and part of his role is running midweek groups for Hunter Bible Church. So thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Maddie. Good to see you and uh, good to talk with you as well, Derek. Uh, great to have you with us. So uh, to dive straight in, can you uh, explain to us how midweek groups fit in within the ecosystem of church as opposed to something like preaching on a Sunday? Yeah, for sure. Midweek groups are fantastic. In a lot of the ways, they have the similar goals to the Sunday events, um, the word of God and prayer and so on. But uh, our midweek groups are really good for uh, growing together to become more like Christ, specifically with learning the Bible through the discussion kind of method, uh, the talking things back and forth relationship building obviously is really strong as we spend time together and do common activities prayer we can be more specific and uh, we can encourage each other in uh, evangelism as well so there's some of the benefits of having a healthy small group midweek ministry so i want to come back uh, in just a moment because it sounds like growth groups are carrying they do carry a fairly heavy load within the whole church ecosystem I'll, i'll come back to that in a second but can I ask you, as you set up for small groups in Newcastle at the beginning of the year, I assume things are really ramping up. That's your kind of calendar. Uh, how do you get ready for small groups then? Uh, is the way in which you do it affected by your geography when people are coming and going and your demographics? How, how do you guys do it at HBC? Yeah, well, um, it's always a big time of year getting ready for small groups. And uh, the first thing is a lot of prayer. Like I'm praying daily for our small group ministry, for leaders, Uh, for the whole process so it's really uh, it can feel quite overwhelming so lots of prayer Uh, and then there's just the slow and steady work of building the groups which I I partly do but delegate that Uh, finding leaders finding two or three core members for each group uh, working out a location and a time so that's all a steady work in progress and then uh, a big event is to prepare the leaders. And uh, we have something that we call a maturity team training night. And that's where we gather all the leaders and uh, have a night of um, vision setting and talking about expectations and really trying to motivate and encourage group leaders to go into the year with a, a positive attitude, a dependence on God and optimism that 
this will be a really great year for growing their group. Uh, so that's a key thing. And then around that time, we're launching the group signups with, a, with an email and kind of an online strategy to, to get people into groups. And uh, as uh, I guess right now, people might be recruiting for leaders for next year, uh, small group leaders, growth group leaders. If they're scrambling, they're not uh, finding enough leaders, what would you say to them? Uh, yeah, that's a really common thing and it's very normal. I love speaking with other small group pastors. We can sympathize about those challenges. Um, I think just two things from the Bible. Um, the Bible tells us to appoint elders uh, and appoint leaders, like 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, you'd think about that. Uh, but on the other hand also says, don't be hasty on the laying, in the laying on of hands. Uh, so we do want leaders, but we don't want to make decisions that we'll regret. Like it's better to have not enough leaders than to have leaders that... Um, that are not appropriate and, and do damage to the ministry and, and get heavily discouraged and so on. So we're kind of living in that tension. Um, but in terms of strategies as to how to find more leaders at short notice, uh, I think a big one again is prayer. Uh, like I said, just praying regularly for God's provision for leaders. And over the years, I've found that God often answers those prayers. Sometimes leaders kind of fall like manna from heaven uh, and into your ministry. I've had people sort of come back from they've left church and they've returned to church that, that year or people have left other ministries that I haven't known about or shifted congregations and suddenly uh, some leaders have become available. And I put that down to prayer for, for leaders. So I recommend that. Um, the second thing we can do is, uh, I'll say this carefully, but take a calculated risk with some not quite ready leaders. So take a calculated risk with some not quite ready leaders. Because it's easy to think of small group leaders as people like us, uh, people, um, but that's a mistake because most first time leaders aren't like that. We've got, uh, we've got lots of experience. Um, we are not the leaders now that we were when we first started. So we've got to make sure that we're appointing leaders who are more like us when we first began in small group ministry. And that can be a bit of a frightening prospect as, as well, at least for me, as I think about what I was like as a first time small group leader, but to think back and let that be more of your, uh, your bar for leadership. Okay, because I was wondering, would you rather have bigger groups and less leaders uh, as opposed to starting new groups with new leaders, you know, if you're, you're short on the leader, but uh, maybe take a risk with some people? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. A category we, I talk about sometimes is um, thinking about leaders in terms of low, medium or high risk. Uh, some leaders, your point, they're low risk. They're great experienced leaders. You really don't have any worries. I mean, you, you support them and everything, but you're pretty confident it's all going to go well. Uh, at the other end, you've got high risk leaders who might be yeah, quite immature or a lot of stress going on in their lives, or there's some health factors where you think, well, they could lead, but it's going to be a pretty high risk of things not going well. Maybe can I not appoint too many in that category? And then you're going to have another category of leaders who you might think of as medium risk. So they're maybe not heaps mature or they're uh, maybe haven't had loads of ministry experience, or maybe they've got a bit of room to grow in terms of uh, group dynamics and so on. But you think, well, it's a medium risk, but let's go for it. Let's put some great core members into that group. Uh, let's encourage them in different ways. And then you can launch some more leaders in that, let's say medium risk category. Uh, that's really helpful to hear those categories, three ones you've got there. Can I ask though, how do you communicate that? Because you're not saying to people in the congregation, hey, you can leave, but you are high risk. And so you go stand <laughs> over there. You're not saying that to people. How do you communicate that? Let's, there's internal language and external language. What do you do? 
<laughs> oh yeah, no, to be honest, sometimes I do use that language with leaders. Um, I was having this chat with a guy uh, only a few weeks ago. I was saying, look, I, I think you're a great person. I, uh, and I think I can see that you um, sees value in this, but I just see because of this theological difference of opinion, uh, if we launch in growth groups, that just could get a little bit difficult. That could lead to some conflict. You know, maybe it's not great to put you in that position. And he was a guy who was very comfortable with conflict and interaction. And he thought, yeah, look, I can see what you're saying. Let's not go ahead with this ministry option. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, or to give it another example, I might say to someone, look, I think you'd make a great leader, but you've got a really full on year coming. You know, you're having a baby, your husband is sitting his medical exams. Um, maybe it, this is not the year to shoot for group leadership. Maybe let's put you in a training position and, and maybe the year after this could be, yeah, could go great or just, it might not. <laughs> so to be honest, I do use those categories a little bit. It's good. A little bit of gospel courage in there, isn't there? I suppose it's a litmus test in some ways, isn't it? If you're pushing back slightly on people and saying you may not be ready, how they react is probably a good in indication of how ready they may well be um, for it. So yeah. uh, can I push into that a little bit deeper then? What are some errors that, that um, you've seen churches make or that you guys have made in the past uh, around the setting up of small groups? Yeah, um, I feel more confident to speak about my areas. Errors. There's been many of them. Uh, I don't know about other churches, but here are some of mine. Um, I'll give you six, Derek, and I'll run through them quickly. Firstly, plugging holes yourself. It's very tempting as a small groups pastor to plug all sorts of holes. So, like three or four years ago, I tried to lead two groups uh, because there was a hole in one of our congregations. That was a mistake. That second group I led didn't get my energy. And in the end, people in that group didn't continue long with church or, or shifted out. Or, you know, it was a mistake. So plugging holes yourself, that's a mistake. Second one is not resourcing groups with mature and encouraging people. Sometimes you'll have groups that uh, just have a high ratio of, uh, well, let me say the incorrect ratio of mature people to people who need extra care and help. Mm -hmm. And so it's an error to uh, have that ratio out of whack because uh, that can lead to great discouragement for the group leaders. And um, it, can I ask on that one? You sit, you look at that at the start when the groups are forming, do you monitor it over time as the groups? Cause you add people in as well. Do you have that decision ongoing? Yeah, that's, uh, that's part of the decision about group placements. Um, some groups are particularly vulnerable and uh, it's uh, an extra, um, extra care required person just could tip them over the edge. So uh, yeah, there's a bit of wisdom in, in where we place people during the year. Mm. Error three is uh, allowing some groups to become hospitals. That's a little similar. That's uh, where some groups, particularly if the groups are led by very caring people, uh, they can end up with too many people who are in serious need in their group. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can lead to an unhealthy group. Uh, error four is letting immature people host groups. Sometimes people will come and say, I'd love to host a group, but their motivation for that question is really personal convenience. And uh, they could well be lacking the maturity to provide a stabilizing, encouraging, mature uh, influence on that group. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Yep, it's a mistake to allow people to become hosts just through convenience. Fifth error for me is uh, delusional thinking with medium or high risk leaders. So as I said, we have, uh, we do sometimes appoint medium risk or high risk leaders, but uh, sometimes I've deluded myself into this will be okay, rather than actually uh, examine what the, the, the risks are uh, just through wishful thinking, have said, yeah, this will be fine. And 
in reality, it wasn't fine. So uh, yeah, a delusional thinking there. And uh, sixth error is not creating enough groups, thinking that uh, this is enough, yeah, and uh, underestimating yeah, gospel growth and, and the number of people that would like to join. Great. Yeah, that's and, good. That's good. Yeah, Sorry, do you you yeah, do you recommend that your groups are, do you try and not fill them to capacity? Do you go, say, 10, hypothetically, 10 is the right size. Do I always go for seven, anticipating growth, or how do you do that? Yeah, there's no easy answers there. In an ideal world, I'd love to have smaller groups with a bit of extra space. I've found the that book, Leading Small Groups That Thrive, uh, released this year, points out that an ideal size or a really good size for groups is around seven or eight. Um, now, it's very hard to be able to manage groups with that sort of leader to uh, member ratio, but uh, that would be good if possible. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, yeah, I try and keep group numbers containable down. Uh, but in some contexts, I'll let groups get big uh, to create the, uh, the gospel need for new leaders and multiplying groups, budding off new groups. Mm. So just being strategic about uh, which groups you go big and which groups you go small. Uh, and if we've recruited our leaders, we have our members in groups as well. Everyone's allocated. Uh, st we're starting next year. We have our first night. What should we do? Do we have the typical social night? Is there anything you recommend that will really set the year up well? Yeah, sure. So a couple of things you can do preparing for your first night as a leader is, first of all, uh, know who is in your group. Figure out who is in your group. A healthy group uh, always has a clear understanding of who's in the group and not who's not in the group. So figure that out at the start. And then secondly, to prepare, do as much as you can for a warmth and positive atmosphere for your group itself. Uh, think about your room, think about the lighting, the space, look, even buy a coffee table if that's needed or, or get some better sofas if you can afford that or manage that. Uh, create that friendly, warm environment and uh, even uh, be ready to go for a meal or something like that for the first night. As to the first night, I think there's a variety of things you can do. In my, my experience, leaders generally do this pretty well. Um, having a meal or food or something is really good. Uh, getting to know you activities are good. I think a short Bible time is worth doing. Uh, I know that doesn't always make it on for the first night, but I think it's good just for setting the agenda and, and, uh, of, and creating the culture of this is what we do as a group. We look at the Bible, even if it uh, feels a little bit awkward at time. It's a little bit like mustard day at soccer. If you gather the kids for preparing for the soccer team, you're going to bring a ball along. They're going to have a kick around. Uh, it's, that's what we're on about. Uh, and then, on that first night, start to get into expectations. You probably won't cover that in one night, but talk about expectations. What are we looking for in this group? What are we thinking about attendance, communication? And uh, what are we thinking about social activities, weekends away, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Talk about expectations. That will really help this group to uh, start off and become a healthy group. Yeah, great. That vibe one is so important, isn't it? And some people are good at it. And some people are useless at it. So <laughs> I, I know we, we ran an event last year. I don't care what it looks like as long as people come. Maddie organised the event, which is great, and she just creates an amazing vibe. Some people are good intuitively at it. So being hosted are good at it and want to do that stuff is important, I suppose. Yeah, that's really important. And a theology of gifting is so important in small group ministry. Um, you know, hosting and, and, and things looking nice, that's not my gift. I'm similar to you in that, Derek. Uh, but it's great to have people in the group and around you with those gifts. 
Can I just push into some uh, logistics and practical stuff? Do you grape, uh, grape, do you grape groups? Do you break groups apart at the beginning of each year uh, and reform them anew or do you let groups exist for years? And do you work on the calendar year or kind of halfway through? How do you navigate that? All right. Well, uh, we'll take those. Yeah. The first question, uh, do we break groups and reform? Um, I wouldn't use that language of break groups, but what we do is have a groups meet year by year. Uh, and uh, we invite people to re-sign up to groups if they're continuing um, or use as that time as an opportunity to move to a different group and meet other people. Um, we kind of talk about the language of that there's continuity and discontinuity in our, our church's small group culture. Um, continuity is great, but um, there are times, yeah, when things will change from year to year as people shift congregations or new leaders step into leading uh, or one group forms into two. Uh, yeah, with uh, a church is growing, there's always a need for um, yeah, new groups happening. Mm -hmm. The second thing about as to when we start our uh, groups, we go with a January, February start. Um, that just works for us. Um, for both external and internal reasons. Externally, we have people join us from out of town around that time, often starting new jobs and so on. Uh, and internally, that's often a time of change for the people in our church. They might move congregations um, or they graduate from year 12 or they change jobs or, or studies around that time. And uh, it just seems to work as a good time to start out in new groups or, or continuing groups again for that year. Great. Mm, so uh, what is the one thing you want to say uh, about setting up small groups for 2021? All right, Maddie, here's the one thing. Uh, launch a bigger small group ministry by taking calculated risks with not quite ready leaders. Oh, very like nice. that. That's yeah. very good. Uh, Derek, what is in the toolbox? The Maturity Podcast. This is one of Richard's podcasts uh, that he did with Dave more a few years ago around small groups. Uh, it's excellent. Around 50 episodes. Uh, if you've enjoyed the nuggets of gold you've heard today, this podcast will take them and expand them. So if you lead a church, if you lead small group ministries um, or you're interested in this area, grab that and have a listen to it. The link is on our podcast. Secondly, uh, Richard Books, a writing small group study and being a small group leader. Uh, from You can grab them on uh, matthiasmedia.com again. The link is on our web page as well and our show notes. Lastly, Richard, you mentioned leading small groups that thrive. Is that a book you've read recently you'd recommend? Yeah, um, I have read it recently. I recommend it. I wrote a short uh, review on the Gospel Coalition Australia website. Excellent. All right, there's some resources to uh, drill into as you launch your small groups in 2021. And don't forget, go to Ministry Grid and there's a course on small groups there where you can see all uh, information as well as material to run in your small groups. Uh, go to Ministry Grid and you can grab that there. And if you liked what you heard on The One Thing, we'd appreciate it if you take a moment to rate the show on iTunes and even leave a comment. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The One Thing. I'm Derek Hanna. And I'm Madeline Glear. Chat soon. We didn't thank Richard. Oh, we didn't. Okay, we're going to do that now. And automagically it'll appear in the right spot. And Tom, you are earning your wage. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mate. I've not had a great day. <laughs> uh, all right.
Yeah, you're right, Maddie. Yeah. <laughs> he was laughing at me.